The knocking came again now, as if the knocker had become aware that he had stopped through some alteration of the torch's beam seen beneath the door itself, and now began to knock again with that diffident insistence of a stranger seeking aid late at night. And the doctor moved again, not in response to the renewed knocking, who had had no presentiment, but as though the renewal of the knocking had merely coincided with the recurrent, old, stale impasse of the four days' bafflement and groping, capitulant and recapitulant, as though instinct perhaps moved him again, the body capable of motion, not the intellect, believing that physical advancement might bring him nearer the veil at the instant when it would part, and reveal in inviolable isolation that truth which he almost touched. So it was without premonition that he opened the door and peered out, bringing the torch's beam on the knocker. It was the man called Harry. He stood there in the darkness, in the strong, steady sea wind filled with the dry clashing of invisible palm fronds, as the doctor had always seen him, in the soiled ducks and the sleeveless undershirt, murmuring the conventional amenities about the hour and the need, asking to use the telephone, while the doctor, his nightshirt streaming about his flabby calves, peered at the caller and thought in a fierce surge of triumph, Now I am going to find out what it is. Yes, he said, you won't need the telephone. I am a doctor myself. Oh, the other one said, can you come at once? Yes, just let me slip on my pants. What's the trouble, so I shall know what to bring? For an instant the other hesitated, this familiar to the doctor too, who had seen it before and believed he knew its source, that innate and ineradicable instinct of mankind to attempt to conceal some of the truth, even from the doctor or lawyer for whose skill and knowledge they are paying. She's bleeding, he said, What will your fee? But the doctor did not notice this. He was talking to himself. Ah, yes. Why didn't I? Lungs, of course. Why didn't I think of that? Yes, he said. Will you wait here? Or perhaps inside? I won't be but a minute. I'll wait here, the other said. But the doctor did not hear that either. He was already running back up the stairs, He trotted into the bedroom where his wife rose on one elbow in the bed and watched him struggle into his trousers. His shadow, cast by the lamp on the low table by the bed, antic on the wall. Her shadow, also monstrous, gorgon-like from the rigid paper-wrapped twists of gray hair above the gray face, above the high-necked nightdress, which also looked gray as if every garment she owned had partaken of that grim iron color of her implacable and invincible morality, which the doctor was to realize later was almost omniscient. Yes, he said, bleeding, probably hemorrhage, lungs, and why in the world I didn't. More likely he has cut or shot her, she said in a cold, quiet, bitter voice though from the look in her eyes the one time I saw her close, I would have said she would be the one to do the cutting and shooting. Nonsense, he said, hunching into his suspenders. Nonsense, because he was not talking to her now either. Yes, the fool, 
to bring her here, of all places, to sea level, to the Mississippi coast. Do you want me to put out the lamp? Yes, you'll probably be there a long time if you are going to wait until you are paid. He blew out the lamp and descended the stairs again behind the torch. His black bag sat on the hall table beside his hat. The man Harry still stood just without the front door. Maybe you better take this now, he said. What? the doctor said. He paused, looking down, bringing the torch to bear on the single banknote in the other's extended hand. Even if he has spent nothing, now he will have only fifteen dollars, he thought. No, later, he said. Maybe we had better hurry. He bustled on ahead, following the torch's dancing beam, trotting while the other walked, across his own somewhat sheltered yard and through the dividing oleander hedge, and so into the full sweep of the unimpeded sea wind which thrashed among the unseen palms and hissed in the harsh salt grass of the unkempt other lot. Now he could see a dim light in the other house. Bleeding, hey? he said. It was overcast. The invisible wind blew strong and steady among the invisible palms from the invisible sea, a harsh, steady sound full of the murmur of surf on the outside barrier islands, the spits and scars of sand bastioned with tossing and shabby pines. Hemorrhage? What? the other said. Hemorrhage? No, the doctor said. She's just coughing a little blood, then. Just spitting a little blood when she coughs, eh? Spitting, the other said. It was the tone, not the words. It was not addressed to the doctor, and it was beyond laughter. As if that which it addressed were impervious to laughter. It was not the doctor who stopped. The doctor still trotted onward on his short, sedentary legs, behind the jolting torch-beam, toward the dim, waiting light. It was the Baptist, the provincial, who seemed to pause while the man, not the doctor now, thought not in shock, but in a sort of despairing amazement. Am I to live forever behind a barricade of perennial innocence, like a chicken in a pen? He spoke aloud, quite carefully. The veil was going now, dissolving now. It was about to part now and now he did not want to see what was behind it. He knew that for the sake of his peace of mind forever afterward he did not dare, and he knew that it was too late now, and that he could not help himself. He heard his voice ask the question he did not want to ask, and get the answer he did not want to hear. You say she is bleeding. Where is she bleeding? Where do women bleed? the other said cried in a harsh, exasperated voice, not stopping. I'm no doctor. If I were, do you think I would waste five dollars on you? Nor did the doctor hear this, either. Ah, he said. Yes, I see. Yes. Now he stopped. He was aware of no cessation of motion since the steady dark wind still blew past him, because I am at the wrong age for this, he thought. If I were twenty-five, I could say, thank God I am not him, because I would know it was only my luck today, and that maybe tomorrow or next year it will be me, and so I will not need to envy him.
and if I were sixty-five, I could say, Thank God I am not him, because then I would know I was too old for it to be possible. And so it would not do me any good to envy him, because he has proof on the body of love and of passion and of life that he is not dead. But now I am forty-eight, and I did not think that I deserved this. Wait, he said, wait. The other paused. They stood facing one another, leaning a little into the dark wind filled with the wild, dry sound of the palms.